What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan in for Kelly once again. Here is what is ahead on The Exchange. Stocks jumping on another report on inflation slowing. Netflix, one big name on the move. It's up 35% in just a month. And we're going to speak with an analyst with a new buy rating on the stock saying the new ad tier may drive even more upside from here. Plus, the latest FTX fallout. A member of the House Financial Services Committee will tell us what Congress can do right now to try to prevent the next crypto collapse and also what they can do about Sam Bankman fried And more retail earnings coming your way. We are going to get the story and the trade on both Target and TJ Maxx. We begin with today's markets. Dom Chu back with all the numbers and more green on the screen. And retail is a big part of that story, Brian. We'll get to that in just a moment here. But if you talk about the moves that we're seeing, 4,000 has been reclaimed on the S&P 500. 4,006 is what we're at right now. That's up about 49.50 points to give you an idea of the trading range. This has been a very positive day, but tilting a little bit more towards the lower end of the range so far today. At the highs, the S&P was up roughly 71 points at the lows of the session, up around 44 to kind of give you some context on where that plus 50 lies on the trading day so far. The Dow has been the real underperformer, up about one half of 1%. The Nasdaq Composite, though, really shining up about 250 points, 11,446, up about two and a quarter percent. Now, one of the big reasons why that Nasdaq trade is outperforming has been semiconductors. Those computer chip stocks getting a little bit more sentiment boost after the Warren Buffett disclosure at Berkshire Hathaway that they've taken a stake in Taiwan Semi, kind of lifting the entire industry. The Vanek Vector Semiconductor ETF is up 4% today. 228.41 is an important level. That's the 200-day average price on a rolling basis. But since the lows, this is a stock that's up about 36% during that span, just off the lows again. So semiconductors, we've talked about them before, may be a key indicator or leading indicator for the rest of the broader tech market and maybe even the market overall. A couple of stocks to keep a close eye on. I mentioned retail. Walmart, technically a consumer staple stock still, though, the nation's largest retailer, up about nine, ten $7% gains there after Walmart says profits come in better than estimated, also revenues and sales growth at established store locations, also better than expected, also a new $20 billion stock buyback. All of that pushing those Walmart shares higher, doing a lot of that contribution to the Dow's gain so far today. And then one other place to watch on the technology communication services side, TCI Fund Management. They're an activist hedge fund. They say that they've taken a $6 billion stake in Alphabet. That, those shares are up about 3.25% right now, $98.96. This is a stock that has seen a nice bounce off the lows. But again, if an activist is involved, they say that they want Alphabet to cut compensation costs, also reduce headcounts, add to their stock buybacks. So all of that playing out in Alphabet shares right now. But again, I'm showing you the one-year chart, Brian, because even with today's moves, it still lost a third of its value over the last 12 months. I'll send things back over to you. Yeah, I believe that activist was indeed on this very fine network a couple hours ago. Dom Chu, thank you very much. All right, so while that softer PPI and CPI has many investors cheering, sending stocks up, and expectations for that Fed pivot jumping, 
Your next guest thinks it's still way too early to start buying any dips in a big way and says you might want to hold your ground a little bit longer. Joining us now is Jeff Krumpelman. He is chief investment strategist at Mariner Wealth Advisors. Jeff, if I remember correctly, at the beginning of the year, and kudos to you if true, you advised your clients to sort of dial back on equities. You didn't say sell everything. You just said kind of go back to your normal allocation because we made a, a boat ton of money over the last three years. So should we re- if, they, if they took that advice, they have cash, do they reinvest it in the stock market right now? You know, I don't think so, Brian. I'd say, you know, hold your ground. Um, and Jack Bogle once was quoted as saying something like, you know, don't just do something, stand there. Um, and, and that may sound, you know, not, not really uh, an exciting piece of wisdom to give people. But uh, we, we have been looking for and we have a positive view over the next 12 months on the equity markets. We just think that there are some head fakes out there. There's some churning that's going to happen. And we need to see another data point or two on the inflation front like we've seen over this past week or so. It's gone from horrible to terrible. It probably needs to go from terrible to bad before everyone will, will be convinced, as well as the Fed, that uh, it's okay to, to kind of hold in here and pause. And that's what the market really needs to get completely comfortable with before I think it's all clear and you can say buy, buy on this dip that we've had. Well, there's also seasonality. I know that all of our headlines are like, oh, the market's up on the Fed. I mean, may, maybe that's a part of it. There's also a lot of repositioning, quant funds, hedge funds, a lot of stuff under the hood. You know, it's easy to say it's inflation, but there's a lot of repositioning. Seasonality tends to be on our side, Jeff. That, that's not convincing you to be a little more aggressive on the stock front? Well, I think we need to remember that it was only, what, maybe about a month ago where inflation surprised two-tenths the other way. And uh, the market was disappointed. And, and that's what ended that 4,300 rally and took us down to lower lows, down below 3,600. So, you know, a, a little bit of uh, crabbiness from Jerome Powell and maybe one, another month of data that is, is disappointing and it can flip the other way. So, yeah. no, I, you know, I am of the, the, the mindset to say seasonality is moving in a better direction. Inflation's calming. The economy is not going to be in a deep recession, yeah. maybe normal or mild. And prices are really attractive. But I, I'm having plenty of, of uh, work to do just with repositioning portfolios yeah. and making sure we've held up on the downside we want to also outperform or perform nicely on the upside when, and you, when and you, we're there. And, and you're not like that kid from the Life cereal commercials. You don't hate everything. No. When, oh, I, dr- when, I, drive, no. when I drive here to my beloved CNBC, we have potholes in New Jersey that if a giraffe fell in them, they'd need a ladder to climb out. And I only bring that out because at some point, with all the money being thrown in infrastructure, a name like a Vulcan Materials, which, you know, literally helps make roads with asphalt and composites is a name that you like. There's going to be a lot of money thrown at these types of projects over the next decade. Yeah, it's just a great management team, and they had some issues um, in, in Mexico in a certain situation they've been very transparent about. Uh, There's a reason why it's, it's been a little weaker um, and has provided a very nice opportunity with a mid-teens multiple, a mid-teens growth rate that will benefit not only from infrastructure, but Reonshoring, and uh, we just find a number of stocks and a number of industries like that high quality growth 
that, um, you know, is cheap and uh, provides uh, good for the pickings. Good for the pick. Not boom pickings, but good for the pickings. Vulcan Materials, Jeff pick. Crumpleman, live long and prosper. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All <laughs> right. Too, Brian. Hope you got that one. All right. Turning now to one of the biggest winners in this recent rally, and that is Netflix. Shares up 14% since her new ad-sponsored package launched on November 3rd, and it's up 34% in the past month. But context is always key. Netflix is still down by nearly half this year, but one Bank of America analyst now sees value in the stock. They are resuming coverage of Netflix with a buy and a $370 price target. That is 19% upside, even on top of today's gains. Let's bring in Jessica Reef Cope uh, Ehrlich. She is senior U.S. media and entertainment analyst for B of A Securities. You think I wouldn't butcher your name after having spoken with you for like 15 years, Jessica? It's okay. There was a name change. It's fine. You can just call me Ryan Sullivan. It's fine. Just call me Pete, whatever you want. Uh, Jessica, what is the primary thesis behind Netflix? I mean, for us, we, we initiated coverage or reinstated coverage today, and we see a lot of value from here. Numbers have come down uh, to a reasonable level across the street, and we think there are two areas where the company can really um, beat numbers and 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 have tremendous upside, and that is AVOD, um, or the Advertising Video on Demand platform, and the second thing is password sharing. And we are super, super bullish on the advertising opportunity. Um, as the company says, they're going to crawl, walk, and then run. So they're starting on their broadcast tier, which is really small. Um, th that's the tier that you can't download on and you get one stream. And they'll learn um, a lot from that. We think there's massive advertiser demand. Remember, these are subs that um, they're reaching outside of the linear universe. So. These are big cord cutters, cord nevers, or people who, who are watching streaming, number one. And then and there's just such intense interest from advertisers. So we think that as they start to roll out to the standard and premium tiers, there's tremendous upside. That's not in our numbers. Um, and then and they're hiring extremely well from digital, uh, from digital advertising companies. You know, they're, they're hiring well, and we think they have a Microsoft guarantee. So we think there's tons of upside above and beyond our estimates. And the second thing that we really have not built into our model is this password sharing. Who doesn't know somebody who is sharing a password? Um, and and just, there's 100 million non-paying users across the globe. 30 million are in U US and Canada. Um, and if they pay $2, which the company initially will charge, that's a lot of money. But if they can convert some of these to, to subscribers, because they, yeah. because they put them off, there's tremendous upside. Yeah, so it sounds like, I mean, at the basic level, Jessica, that the worst may be behind Netflix. I mean, I know it's overly simplistic in some ways, but it's been a slow bleed for about 10 months. It feels like maybe that, that wound has been healed. Well, I mean, the chart that you just had, and we had in our report, shows Netflix's reach versus other media companies. And they dwarf everybody else and they have not had advertising. They're also going into live programming, which is what drives advertising. So if you look at Fox, they way outperform the rest of the industry because they have live news and sports, that chart, which I think is fantastic. It just tells you how much viewership they have and they haven't monetized them at all. And the advertisers are dying to get in. So between live and the ability to get in, they'll have four to five minutes an hour and, which is not a lot compared to 15 minutes plus on linear. It's it's a real opportunity. 
it'll be targeted and yeah. addressable. So it's it's very it's it's really great. And I guess I think the other thing that hasn't really come up is is that they're turning free cash flow positive. So this year they'll have a billion dollars in free cash flow. Our projection is over the next three years that will be four billion dollars. So it's explosive. Well, Warner Brothers said, and and arguably I think maybe the single most powerful person in U.S. media, David Zaslav, today saying that the ad market was worse than basically in the depths of the pandemic. So do you agree with him on that? And even if you even if you do or don't, do you think Netflix discounted that in the way that it fell by 50 percent this year? Investors didn't wait to hear that news. They kind of knew it and priced it in. Well, remember, of course, I agree with David, but of course. But remember that Netflix isn't um, will, will not feel the effects of the, the secular headwinds that traditional media companies have because they don't have these linear cable networks. They don't have broadcast and they don't have cable. So the decline in the ad market is, is or the, the pressures on the ad market has not affected them. They've just gone in to advertising like a week ago. But remember, if you step back just for a second, your parent company, Comcast, owns Peacock. And Peacock Peacock was able to get $1 billion in advertising in its first year with negligible subs. So this is a very desirable audience. They have a lot of subs and they're Mm -hmm. opening it up for the first time. So the demand, they're in a different category than linear at this point in time. I would say the same thing for Disney. I mean, Disney Plus launches their ad service, their AVOD service on December 8th. And we think the demand for that will be extremely high. Again, it's, these are people that are hard to reach on linear and they will have targeted and addressable advertising with limited advertising inventory. And that's just the U S and of course, Netflix is rolling it out, you know, rolled it out to 12 markets in total and we'll go across the globe as well. Yep. Well, listen, uh, Jessica reef Ehrlich, we appreciate you coming on. I know you, you made a lot of Netflix bulls happy because they've not had a whole lot of reason to be happy this year. So thank you. Thank you. All right. So we have got a lot more to do here on The Exchange. And coming up, the retail earnings parade rolls on when Target TJX report tomorrow morning. Walmart shares, they're surging after a big beat. Will that lift all retailers? But first, more fallout from FTX's bankruptcy making its way to Capitol Hill. We are going to hear from one of the top lawmakers tasked with protecting you, the investor, and also when might be able to get some real movement on actual charges being filed against Bankman-Fried and Caroline Ellison and others. The Exchange is back after this. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. And indeed, we do have a news alert in the drama that continues with the collapse of FTX and its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried. He popped back up on Twitter just a few minutes ago. Here's what he posted. To the best of my knowledge, as of post-November 7th, with the potential for errors, 
One, Alameda Research, their hedge fund, has more assets than liabilities. Number two, Alameda had margin position on FTX International, something I think that we're keenly aware of now. And number three, FTX had enough to repay all customers. That was Sam Bankman-Fried tweeting that out, I don't know, about 30 minutes ago. Now, just moments ago, the Wall Street Journal reporting that BlockFi, another exchange, is getting ready to file potential bankruptcy. We contacted the company. They have no comment on that report. But BlockFi, based in Jersey City, New Jersey, wants a high flyer, according to the journal, may be ready to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Now, all of this, particularly with FTX, is ratcheting up calls for regulation. It is expected to be a key issue at today's Senate Banking Committee hearing on financial oversight. In bankruptcy filings overnight, FTX says it may owe money to more than one million creditors. Now, those creditors could range from a small investor like you with maybe a couple hundred bucks with them to institutions or pension funds who may be out more than a billion dollars. But will anyone ever see a dime of their money? And what exactly is being done to try to find and at least question Mr. Bankman-Fried and some of his other colleagues? Joining us now is Representative Brad Sherman of California, member of the House Financial Services Committee, chairman of the Subcommittee on Investor Protection and Capital Markets. Uh, Congressman, it's great to have you back on. It's an important time. FTX, FTX was headquartered offshore. It was listed offshore. It is registered offshore. What power do you or U.S. authorities have or might have over Mr. Bankman-Fried, some of his colleagues, and FTX? Bankman-Fried is an American. I'm sure that he was a target of uh, criminal investigation. I assume uh, uh, that he's going to try to flee to Dubai or Argentina or some other country uh, without an extradition treaty. FTX US is a US company. Uh, but ultimately, I have for many years uh, called for us to simply prohibit Americans from investing in crypto, not only as an investor protection issue. I know some of your viewers are going to make money from time to time, but because of the effect that it can have on our ability to collect taxes and force bankruptcy laws uh, and uh, have the, uh, the dollar play the international role that is so valuable to America. Do you think he is a flight risk? Oh. <laughs> uh, Do you think uh, he's still in the Bahamas? In- because someone tracked a jet that they think might have been his. They don't know from Nassau to, I think it was Buenos Aires, Argentina. But they do, I believe, have an extradition treaty with the United States. He's told Reuters he was in the Bahamas. Do we have any idea where he is? And if not, why not? We have no idea where he is because he stole billions of dollars and he's using that money to get himself somewhere where we can't catch him. So I want to be clear because we want to be very careful here, on, at least on my side of the camera, Congressman. You can say what you want. I, you know, for us, these are allegations right now. We know there's money missing. No charges have been filed. It sounds like you believe that there will be criminal charges filed soon. I don't know how soon, and I don't know whether uh, he will be in a jurisdiction where we can reach him. Uh, but uh, it appears as if money that should have been segregated and held for customers was instead diverted to high-risk uh, um, um, bets placed uh, by the uh, uh, by uh, the, the, the FTX uh, company. Um, 
this is uh, this this shows that we need regulation. Although, frankly, the money and power still in Washington is with the uh, uh, the crypto billionaire, billionaire bros. And I think we'll be fortunate if we can just avoid passing bad legislation because they are so yeah. desperate to well, get. They, they really want to. They really want a patina of regulation. They need it so much now to try to restore their credibility. I'm going to ask you a direct question. You can tell me to kiss off if you want. And I and I want to make it very clear. We looked, Congressman Brad Sherman, you took no money from FTX. You took no money. And by the way, from stock trading, you own a couple of stocks, Disney and a few others. That's it. The rest are in CDs. But many others in the Democratic and Republican parties did take money. He was one of the biggest donors to President Biden's reelection campaign, super PAC. His mother's politically connected. As you imagine, in this world that we live in, there's a lot of talk about how that may help him. Can you assure the American people, or at least your constituents, that even with his political connections and money, that if there is a need to bring him to justice, he will be? Oh, I don't think that uh, campaign contributions will shield him from justice. And keep in mind, uh, this was not just a one-man operation. Ryan Sal- uh, Salem was his co-CEO, and uh, Ryan gave tens of millions of dollars uh, on the Republican side. Uh, yes. There's a tendency to focus only on the guy in shorts, but uh, uh, it took one more than one person to create it. Yeah, and, and, and you are making an important point that there was money from the organization given to both parties. I want to make that clear, but we know the Democrats are in charge, so I think the focus is going to be more on, on the party that is that is in power. Obviously, his, his family is politically connected. There's a lot, but you are telling the, our viewers, the American public, that, that this will not get in the way of justice, particularly for, by the way, what could be, as we just noted, Congressman, a million creditors, many of whom are probably just CNBC viewers that got crushed. Think of the demand from the American people, including a million who are owed money, for us to apply the law. The Department of Justice is in, uh, insulated from politics. The criminal investigators there, perhaps even more insulated. Uh, I am confident uh, that there'll be a a criminal investigation. Uh, And and I do want to point out, the investigations uh, haven't even started, let let alone completed. There is the possibility uh, that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried followed, uh, you know, avoided uh, committing felonies. But uh, I think that's unlikely. And I guess the American, I know, listen, we won everything yesterday. I understand that. And, and there are no charges filed. We'd like to probably just hear from him and Caroline Ellison, who ran the hedge fund and others that you mentioned. What happened? What do you know? Uh, the longer this drags on, Congressman, the more likely it is that perhaps there will be a flight risk or something or something else. Do you believe that there is that well, the U.S. authorities risk. are currently working with police of the Bahamas to try to come up with some way to at least get him to answer questions? I don't know whether Bahamas is cooperating with the United States. I don't know what connections they have in the Bahamas, and I don't know if he's still in the Bahamas. But I do know uh, that uh, other there are other countries that uh, are more susceptible than the U.S. system to the kind of money uh, that uh, Bankman Free has. Yeah, and it would seem, and a viewer brought this up just now, and I, this is a little bit off off topic, but... I know he's a computer, quote, genius, but he is tweeting. So theoretically, there's going to be some geolocation that we could figure that out, at least, again, not to arrest him. We just need to know what's going on. Do, uh, can, can we work? You're in California, but I know you're in Southern California. 
Can we work with some of the technology companies to maybe help us out, at least locate them? Uh, I am sure that uh, uh, that we are trying to locate them. Uh, and uh, at the same time, I don't know if we can bring them to justice. Um, and uh, it, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, it is somewhat suspicious that there's this 300 million uh, uh, hack where assets are stolen from the company just as the company's going down. Um, there is talk on Twitter, et cetera, that uh, people know who it is that, uh, that did the hack, but that's a suspicious. There are a lot of suspicious things here. Uh, but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, obviously, if Bankman Freed had decided to flee a couple days sooner, he'd already be in Dubai. Wow. Sounds like you're pretty confident that uh, there is a risk of him either leaving or maybe already left. Again, there, there was private jet traffic to Argentina. We don't know if he was on it, if anybody was on it. His jet was reg- that jet was registered in Argentina, which, you know, is not a crime into itself, but it's interesting. Congressman Brad Sherman of California uh, could probably do an hour with you, Congressman. So welcome you back on anytime. If you learn anything, please let us know. We'll, we'll put you back on at a moment's notice. Thank you. I will. Thank right. you. Congressman Brad Sherman of California out there representing Burbank and some of those, the Valley. All right, still ahead. In a big U-turn, the White House now wants American oil companies to produce more oil. Okay, but with labor and equipment in such short supply, can the industry even do it? We're going to ask the CEO of Liberty Energy, the exchange, back after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, don't don't go after the messenger here, but the Dow is reversed. It's flipped a 450-point gain. We were up what, 400, 450, we're now down 120. The S&P, that's up three-tenths. NASDAQ's still up more than a percent, so NASDAQ's holding up. Dow has flipped. Of course, the Dow has done better this year, so some of those in inflation euphoria that we had earlier today, at least for the Dow, seems to be wearing off just a bit. All right, now let's step out of the world of money and business and get a CNBC News update with Contessa Brewer. Contessa. Hey there, Brian. And here's what's happening right now. Prosecutors say they'll seek a lifetime sentence with no chance of parole for Ethan Crumbly, the 16-year-old who fatally shot four fellow students at his Michigan high school. Crumbly pled guilty to 24 counts of murder and terrorism. His parents faced charges of involuntary manslaughter for giving him the gun used in the shooting and for ignoring a school demand that they get their son into counseling. In Wisconsin, sentencing has begun for Daryl Brooks, the man convicted of driving into a Christmas parade, killing six people and injuring dozens more. Victims are now telling Brooks how their lives have changed since that parade. The mother of an eight-year-old who was killed says she still feels gutted and broken. About 45 people are expected to speak there. And Georgia's ban on abortion after six weeks has been overturned. A state judge ruled the ban violated the U.S. Constitution and the U.S. Supreme Court precedent when it was enacted. Keep our eye on that. Brian? All right, Contessa Brewer, thank you very much. All right, still ahead here on The Exchange, Walmart, well, they delivered on earnings. Can Target do the same? The keys to watch next.
All right, time now for Earnings Exchange. And today we are talking retail. I got the action of the story in the trade on both Target and TJX. That, of course, the parent company of TJ Maxx and Marshalls, the king of so-called treasure hunt shopping. All right, let's do it. First up, Target. Shares are down this year, but rising along with Walmart today, the Bentonville Bruiser put up big numbers. And now expectations are going to be high for Target to do the same thing. CBC.com reporter Melissa Repco has the story. And Quint Tatro joining us now with the trade founder and CEO of Jewel Financial. All right, Melissa, what are we watching with Target? Hi, Brian. Yes, the big question is all about inventory. Investors want to hear that Target has made progress with the inventory that's built up in its back rooms and store floors. It cut its profit outlook two times with the promise that it told investors that its margins would look healthier in the back half of the year. It also said it was going to focus more on food and essentials. And so the big question will be, did those two things do the trick? We'll also likely get an idea of how the holidays are shaping up. Target, along with other retailers, started the holidays early. It actually had its first holiday sale all the way back in October. All right, Quint, what's the trade on TGT? Yeah, Sully, even though uh, Target's getting some pin action here from, from Walmart today, we still think it's a buy. Everything in the kitchen sink is, is basically baked in here. And Melissa said it. I mean, we're going to be looking for inventories, but Target does a really good job of marking inventories down and getting that out. And those are all what's left over from the COVID overhang. And so ultimately, we think they're positioned very well. I mean, it's trading at a relatively inexpensive valuation going forward. And again, everything is baked in. So even though it's getting a decent pop here today, we still think this is a buy and we're looking for a pretty much upside surprise tomorrow on the numbers. And you personally own Target, correct, Quint? Yeah, we have it in a long-term dividend portfolio. It's been a great name for us for a very long time, but we do look to trade around it on occasion. Okay, now let's move on to the other one. That is TJX, getting a nice boost as well today from Walmart. It's up almost 20% in the past month. All right, Melissa, bit of a different model here. The, tre- the so-called treasure hunt, you know, what are, we, what are they going to have? They want you to go into the stores. What are we looking for from TJX? Yes, so TJ Maxx could actually benefit from other retailers' inventory woes because that means that it's getting a lot of designer duds, a lot of fresh merchandise, and that may draw customers to its stores again and again. People are also shopping more in stores this holiday season versus shopping online. So as they come back for that treasure hunt, that could benefit them too. There's also a trade-down factor going on. We heard from Walmart today that it's seeing a lot more high-income customers come to its stores for groceries. Potentially, we're seeing the same dynamic with people going instead to TJ Maxx for clothing and home goods rather than going to department stores or other mall players. All right, Quint. I mean, TJX, it's kind of a recession-y type company, is it not, in a way? Yeah, Sully, you, you nailed it. And this stock, I mean, depending on, you know, what your views are on the future of the economy is telling us that, uh, you know, the consumer is still strong, maybe just in that lower end. But this stock's basically 5%, less than 5% off all-time highs. So ultimately, I think you're going to hear good news. I think the price action there has been strong for a reason. But this is a great company going forward. I mean, in a, in a uh, sector that traditionally has a tremendous amount of debt, this has a very, very healthy balance sheet and ultimately trading at decent valuations. So we think this could be a leader in the space. And, uh, and again, we, we would look to buy this uh, here in, in this environment. All right, Melissa, one of these numbers out. These numbers will be out tomorrow. So we'll really get a sense of how shoppers are, are behaving so far going into what's a, you know, really the Super Bowl of retail. You know, that earnings exchange graphic, Melissa, is nice, but it's not a red bag 
that your head popped out of yesterday. It's not not nearly as as cool as what we had on Power Lunch yesterday. Still snazzy. <laughs> Melissa and Quint, thank you both very much. All right, on deck. Easing COVID restrictions, stimulus measures, and a meeting between President Biden and Xi. It has all been boosting Chinese stocks in the past few weeks. But one noted China tech investor says, forget all that. The time to invest in China, it's over. We're next. All right, welcome back. Chinese stocks rallying today. The FXI, big China ETF, is up 29% just this month. Seema Modi joining us on set to talk about it. Are hedge funds turning bullish on China? Well, sentiment, Brian, tied to China really hinges on what investor, who investor you talk to. Uh, And what they are focused on overall is uh, the reopening and whether it's really picking up pace. After cutting its quarantine requirement from seven to five days, online travel firm Trip.com says it's seen a 136 percent jump in flight searches to China from the U.S., signs of a gradual reopening, but not a total abandonment of its zero COVID policy. And that's why Wall Street remains less bullish right now. J.P. Morgan's Joyce Chang calling yesterday's Biden-Xi meeting constructive pointing to Biden's comments that he did not see an imminent threat to Taiwan from China as a positive, yet still lowering GDP estimates. Mark Lazary of Avenue Capital telling me it's too early to invest in China. And then there's the latest 13F filings ending September 30th, which reveals a number of prominent hedge funds reducing their exposure to the country. KOTU and Appaloosa Management cutting their stakes in Alibaba. KOTU by 88 percent. The fund also reducing its stake in JD.com by 56 percent, while Ray Dalio's Bridgewater cut its stake in Baidu by 20 percent. There were some buyers. Steve Cohen's 0.72 boosting its stake in Alibaba by 490 percent. Take a look at shares of Alibaba on pace for its best month in seven years. The stock is now trading at a premium to its historical average, 36 times earnings versus its historical average of 32. But clearly uh, sentiment seems to be changing when you look at the stocks, but again, the bigger investors still cautious. Okay, Tim Draper, big investor, well-known to our audience, big early investor in Chinese stocks. What's he saying about this rally and what's he saying about just China generally. The takeaway from Tim Draper and what he said last night was that he's losing confidence in investing in China. And this is significant because he's an early investor in the country, an early investor in Baidu.com. Those comments that were made while he's in Taiwan looking for new investments in that country. And it kind of speaks to the overarching trend that we've seen this year, which is investors, the larger ones, pivoting away from China, looking for opportunities across Asia. India has been a big beneficiary as well. So we'll see if China's reopening, if this gathers momentum if that can bring some of these investors back. Sima Modi, big story. That, big country, by the way, China. World's second largest economy. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people there. Yeah. A lot going on. Sima Modi, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right, coming up, President Biden is now urging, prodding American oil and gas companies to drill, baby, drill. But can the industry respond? The CEO of Liberty Energy, next. All right, welcome back. Let's talk oil and gas, because while gasoline prices are indeed well off their highs this summer, minus diesel, of course, the national average for gasoline is still more than 30 cents higher than it was one year ago. And this has the White House calling for more oil drilling to combat the impact of no Russian oil imports due to sanctions. Now, oil production in America is higher. The federal government says estimated oil production next year could hit or maybe surpass pre-pandemic levels. Remember, we hit 13.1 million 
equivalent barrels per day in late 2019. Not there yet, but we're inching up. The question, though, is, does the industry actually have the capacity to meet the White House's desire for more oil? Joining us now is Chris Wright, chairman and CEO of Liberty Energy, the second largest fracking company of North America. So the White House is, is sort of pushing and prodding and nudging. They want more fossil fuels, uh, which, depending on your views, is a good, good or bad thing. But do you and do others in your industry, Chris, have the, the, the labor, the equipment, the trucks to do that? Of course, production could grow, but you're right. Those are big challenges, supply chain challenges, labor challenges. But think of the problem with the labor challenge. When I visit our crews in West Texas or Louisiana, one of the top questions I get is, am I still going to have a job in a few years? Is this administration going to put us out of business? Of course, the answer is, hell no, they're not going to put us out of business. The world runs on oil and gas, but yet their families at home are constantly hearing this drumbeat that's trying to dissuade production in the U.S. and then somehow get it from our reserves, which are at the lowest they've been in over 40 years, or plead for foreign suppliers to bring it. It's, well, it's hey, a Chris, very I've got a, strange I, I apologize for sit tight. We're not cutting it off, but I, I do have some breaking news I've got to get to, which actually is involved in the oil and gas space. All right, right now, and many of you are asking, we're working to confirm stories. That's what you do. The Associated Press is reporting that a senior U.S. intelligence official says that Russian missiles did cross into NATO member Poland, killing two people. NBC News is working, along with CNBC, to confirm this as well. So this is AP citing a senior U.S. official that's saying missiles, potentially two, did cross, either intentionally or unintentionally, we don't know, into Poland, hit a grain elevator, and apparently did kill people. Now, Poland, the official government spokesperson for the nation of Poland, on Twitter, saying that Poland has convened an urgent national security meeting. So I want to be clear, because everybody's fired up about this. The AP reporting, a senior U.S. intelligence official, does say that Russian missiles or a missile went into Poland. That's all we know at this point. It did appear to move the markets. I know these headlines are fast and furious, folks. You want to be right when you can't. All right, speaking of right, let's go back to Chris Wright of Liberty Energy. We don't know what happened, Chris. Uh, either way, the oil markets are jumpy. There's constant concern about further escalation by Vladimir Putin in Ukraine, hopefully not Poland which is a NATO member, by the way. How fast can you, your team, and others ramp up production if we have to because we have more issues out of Europe? In a crisis, I think you could see it happening in a period of months. But you have to have both crisis that, that has a unified government policy that they want this. We can't just, you don't just open the tap and get a bunch of oil for six months and then have a drumbeat trying to end our industry or windfall profit tax coming after that. Now, the risk of that happening is low, but the risk of that noise, the, the noise and hostility to our industry is a chilling impact on investment. So it's very unlikely that you will see rapid growth in U.S. oil and gas production because the climate, the risk, if you make those plans now for stuff that's going to happen six to 12 months out, um, you may be in a very different world by the time that oil and gas production comes. Online. And, and explain, the and the world, this is this is the frustration I think many people in your industry have, and, uh, and arguably I cover your industry, so I know a lot of the folks. 
Yep. You know, the, the, the public hears from the White House and high-level officials, well, you're printing money, you're making all this money, why aren't they investing money back into drilling? It's a, answer that question, because I think it's a fair question that the public has. You know, the biggies are making all this money, why aren't they spending that on just more drilling, which I, we can talk about the fact that the White House wants more fossil fuels, but that's probably a different seg segment. Well, let's start with natural gas. We have enormous resources of natural gas. The crisis in Europe is a shortage of natural gas. The world food crisis is a shortage of natural gas to make nitrogen fertilizer. So we can produce a lot more natural gas, but we can't get any more pipelines built out of the Northeast, out of Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia to bring that gas to market. We've had incredibly slow process to get approvals for permits to export liquefied natural gas out of the United States to go to Europe, to go to, the, to go to Africa, to go to Asia, to make the world a better place. But producing oil doesn't work. Producing natural gas doesn't work unless you have the infrastructure to bring it to market. So we have a risk. We have constrained infrastructure. We have threats of, you know, things for our industry are going to get worse. It's not a climate that's going to encourage overly aggressive investment. We are growing production. So investment level is reasonably aggressive, but it's growing modestly and cautiously for very good reasons. Yeah, and, and oil and gas investments take, in many ways, years to pay off. So if you don't have long-term capital confidence, you're probably not going to do it. It's like if somebody said, hey, you got a lot of money, build a house, and you're thinking, well, I might be moving in a year. So I'm, And that's the equivalent. It's not just right now. Chris, we got to leave it there, but a great conversation. Chris Wright, Liberty Energy, thank you very much. All right, folks, I want to recap Brian. the headlines as we know them, confirmed, and I know on Twitter everybody's all jumpy. You're not going to go on air and report something unless it's confirmed by official sources. Here is what we know to recap, and it did appear to move markets. The AP, citing a senior U.S. intelligence official, has confirmed that a Russian missile or missiles crossed into Poland in a border town, and there are reports that some people near a grain elevator were killed. So the headline is the AP citing a U.S. intelligence official. Now, separately, the, a senior or the senior spokesperson for the Polish government on Twitter a short time ago in Polish, but it's easy to translate, coming out and saying that the National Security Ministry of Poland has convened an emergency meeting. That's what we know at the time, and that did appear to move markets at least briefly. As these headlines continue to cross, we will bring them to you. We are watching Europe. We're watching natural gas. We're watching oil. We're watching it all. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. I want to get one more thing before we go. And that is the annual Consumer Report study on auto reliability. And one very popular luxury brand is at the very bottom of the list. Phil Lebeau joining us now with the findings. Phil. That's a good tease, Brian. We'll talk about that in a bit. Let's look at the top of the list. These are the most reliable brands, according to Consumer Reports. Based on owner surveys, more than 300,000 surveyed. No surprise, the consistency of the Japanese automakers comes through again. If there's one headline from this survey, it's this. Electric vehicles, according to Consumer Reports, are less reliable right now than internal combustion engine vehicles or hybrid models, primarily because of software issues. Here's the head of Consumer Reports Auto Division on what the problem is with EVs right now. Now, 
electric vehicles are one of the least reliable segments of of the the type of car categories that we look at. Um, the reason isn't necessarily because electric vehicles are less reliable as a technology. The reason is really more about the fact that these EVs are, are newer on the market and there's growing pains, especially from the, the companies that are really new at building this type of vehicle. Let's talk about the leader in EVs. Tesla, which came in at number 19 in this year's surveys, that's an improvement, though it's still near the bottom of the list out of 24 brands. Who ranked at the bottom? Mercedes-Benz, deemed least reliable by Consumer Reports, mainly software issues as they continue to update their lineup, Brian, but that's the CR report this year. That's not what you want if you're a Benz buyer or a Benz owner with, with that kind of price tag. Phil, all right, you spoke with the CEO of Lucid Motors, and he had a bit of a yep. warning for the EV industry. What's he saying? Well, he primarily believes that a number of the startups, and he's not talking about the established automakers, but the startups who are going to need more capital. And look, Lucid is raising $1.5 billion, that a lot of these startups may not make it because they're going to need more capital in the future. And if they don't have a strong enough product lineup, then they're going to eventually going to have to do something like consolidation or potentially go bankrupt. That's a hell of a last line. Or potentially go bankrupt. Phil Beau. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. All right, folks, that does it for us here on The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.